New year, new podcasts. If you love the show, you're bound to love many of our others. Check out our newest podcast, Adaptation Nation, for discussions of adaptations both beloved and new. Subscribe to Red or Dead for updates on the world of mysteries and thrillers, or download SFF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. And of course, don't miss When in Romance for updates on all things kissing books. We've got a show for everyone. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all of our podcasts, or simply type Book Riot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It'll bring up the full stable. Your TBR and the podcast-shaped hole in your heart will be happy. Happy listening. Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book rap podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and Tears of Price, and we are recording on January 13th. Hello, Erica! Hello, Tirza. So nice to hear from you again. I it's been know. a minute. It has been. Yes. The holidays and mm. all sorts of, you know, just busy things. And now we're back. Yeah. And in case anyone um, missed the last episode, even though we it aired in the new year, we recorded it before the new year. So this is the first time we are speaking since like... December something. Yes. What was it, like December 16th or so? 17th? I know. It feels like it's been <sighs> a year. <laughs> it honestly does. And it's not even like one of those dad jokes like, oh, see you next year. Because you know the new... <laughs> Which are fine. I love dad jokes. But uh, it literally feels like at least six months since I've... <laughs> I know. Oh, my goodness. So delighted to be back. I, I feel like doing Hey YA is one of my small joys in life. So this has just Yay! been so much fun. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like, and, it, uh, and recording with you again, it's making me feel like, okay, this year's, we're getting back into like the swing of things and it's kind of becoming normalized because I kind of needed to like become a little more anchored, you know, like, yeah. well, we had different things. Things are changing Things are always changing, but this is like a nice, like you said, like a pleasant anchor. It totally is. And it's fun because in the last couple of years, I've done like a lot of different things for Book Riot that have required a lot of different like work reading things. Mm -hmm. But like YA books are my first true love. So nice. just being more focused on YA this year makes me happy. Awesome. I mean, that's all you can, that's all you can hope for. I mean, you know. There's so many great YA books too coming. I feel I don't know if we've mentioned this or if this is a thing. Like I said, I'm I've said before I'm not as well versed in YA as you are, but I feel like the YA coming out now is even better. Like overall, I I grew up loving YA, but like there's just a lot more of it. Oh yeah. And it's a lot it's very diverse. I don't know. Even the covers look better. I don't know. But <laughs> I mean, of course, not this is not to hate on, you know, past YA books because I love those too but it's just I'm happy for the teens and tweens who are able to grow up with it yes I think we've come a long way and there's always more work to be done but in terms of diversity particularly when you're looking at like people of color and queer people and Mm -hmm. representation in YA like we're we've come so far in just like the last five years it's pretty incredible yes we have that's why I was like I don't know if it's just me who, you know, someone who like, you know, dips their toes into YA occasionally before this show. Of course, I'm definitely more, way more immersed in it now. But I'm like, I just feel like I've seen so many really interesting titles, especially within the last five years or so. Totally. Yeah, it's been fun. So we are going to first talk about a little bit of YA news. Sounds fun. This is like, this is always like my favorite part of the uh, episode because, I mean, not the only favorite part, but it's one of my favorite parts because I love talking about new things. And so the thing that had me like screaming earlier today is (laughs) that the news that the TV show Shadow and Bone, which is an adaptation 
of um, Lee Bardigo's um, Shadow and Bone series, but then they also combine Six of Crows in with that. Just an amazing TV show. If you have not seen the first season of Shadow and Bone on Netflix, I highly recommend it. And then the news that season two is in production was released today. So um, they are filming in Budapest and they have officially announced um, some new casting. So we have Louis Tan as Tolia, Anna Leong Brophy as Tamar, Patrick Gibson as Nikolai, and Jack Wolf as Wylan. And I feel like, you know, this probably means nothing to you if you've not read the books or at least seen the first season of the show. But Mm -hmm. when they did like this little video announcement, I didn't even know who was playing who. It's just like Patrick Gibson flashed on the screen. And I was like, that is our Nikolai. Like, I was so excited. So (laughs) I was very happy to get this news. And I'm super excited for season two. I'm super excited that they will have Nikolai and Wylan, especially in the show. Like, I mean, I'm excited for Tolia and Tamar as well, but... They didn't have Wylan in for this first season. And if you've watched the first season, it makes sort of sort of makes sense why they don't. And then, of course, Nikolai wouldn't have been in the first season either. But he's like my favorite. So I'm really glad that they're not waiting. Um, they're bringing them in on season two. And now I have to ask, have you seen or read <laughs> Shadow and Bone? Or you're just like, this is going all over your head. <laughs> I saw that you wanted to talk about that. And I was like, perfect, because I have not seen it, nor have I read the books. But (laughs) do I need to call someone tears? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm good. I'm good. But (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. Um, I feel like based on what I've seen of it and heard of it, I feel like it would be really like supremely up my alley. Oh, yeah. But and this is a good question for you, I think. Where? How do you think I haven't read any of Lee Bardugo's books but i feel like i would like them so here's my like conundrum i think i would totally like marathon the show if i started watching it like it super duper looks like something i would love on netflix but then i'm like i also want to i'm definitely the type of person to want to read the book first okay but then i think six of crows is like a sequel Aren't there like three books? Yeah. Like, how would you recommend oh. I go about it? So this is, yeah, this is difficult. If you are a purist, then mm. read Shadow and Bone and like that trilogy first, and then read Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. Because what the TV show does, which is, you know, I was skeptical when I heard that they were combining them, but I really like right. the way they did it. They take the characters in the plot of Shadow and Bone and like the first book is the first season but then they take some of the characters from Six of Crows and they insert them into the plot which at first I was like but how are you doing that and they do change Mm -hmm. some things but the way they change it like really like they pull it off and it makes sense for the fantasy world so we've still got like two more books, two more, hopefully two more seasons where, you know, they're going to have to figure out how the Six of Crows characters all play in. Um, And I, but I will be curious to see if they start to pull through the Six of Crows plot at all into these next seasons. I don't know. We're going to have to, I guess, wait and see. But Mm. yeah, so I think you could read, you could watch the show without reading the books and still have really like a lot of fun and really enjoy it. If you Mm want to read the books, though, and you are a purist, I do recommend just, you know, reading the trilogy first because there is not a lot of carryover. Like they're set in the same world like the Six of Crows books are. However, there are some things that happen in Six of Crows, not so much Six of Crows, but in Crooked Kingdom, where you can kind of, um, you start to glean spoilers for the trilogy. And I think like, if you don't know to look for them, maybe you won't notice them as much. But then if you go back, you, you know, there might be some spoilers. They're not like, I mean, I guess it depends on what would bother you as a reader. And I can't right. say anything on air because it might spoil it. Um, right. No, that's fair. But I know a lot of people who just pick up Six of Crows without reading the other trilogy, and they can enjoy it because it's a whole completely separate thing. So that's what I was thinking of doing too. So I was I was torn between the three options: just watching it, and then I'm like, uh, no, I know I want to read 
you know, obviously. And then I was like, oh, well, it's like three books. I kind of want to watch it now and be, you know. Yeah. And then some people also were like, some people said the first one wasn't that hot. Well, so here's the thing. Hmm. I remember reading Shadow and Bone, which is, you know, mm-hmm. Leonardo Diego's debut novel. And right. it was solid. Like, it was solidly good. And then okay. I read the second book, and I was like, oh, she improved. Like, she added characters. She upped the stakes. I really liked it. And then I read the third book. And, like, keep in mind that these books were coming out at a time in YA where there were a lot of trilogies and a lot of trilogies that were being sold on proposals. So it would meant that, like, the books weren't written when they were sold and that they were expected to come out, like, a book a year, which I've been on a book a year um, publication schedule that is grueling. So, mm. like, unfortunately, some some trilogies, like, they just, they didn't have strong finishes. And I think it's partly because of scheduling and partly because, you know, the authors just didn't get the time that they needed to really make them strong. But I remember being very impressed with Lee Bardugo's books because every book just got better. And so the whole thing ended up with, like, Shadow and Bone being, like, a really solid trilogy. Maybe not my favorite trilogy ever, but, like, really still good. And then I read Six of Crows, and, like, I have to tell you, she blew it out of the water for me. Like, <laughs> like it was just – and I think it's, you know, a natural progression. Like, she grew as yeah. a writer, and she deepened that fantasy world. So it was it was really great. I will say, though, that the show does a little bit of revising of, like, the characters to add more diversity into – that world in the TV version, which, you know, I appreciate when authors and creators are given that chance to, you know, rethink some things. There was a little bit of debate about how well that was done. I have seen, Mm. you know, people of color weigh in about that. I have seen Mm -hmm. a lot of people weigh in about that. I ultimately, you know, I'm saying this as a white person, I enjoyed Mm -hmm. the changes that they made, but not everybody did. So there's a little bit of discourse there. But yeah, I just, I thought that they did a really great job with the TV show. It's a really, it it manages to be a faithful adaptation in many ways, but also adding a lot to this series. So that's my, my little spiel. Okay. (laughs) Well, if there is a ringing endorsement, if ever there was one, (laughs) that was it. I think, I think you have convinced me to read all of the books. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Yeah, because I really was, because I really wanted to watch it, because I, again, it's totally my thing that I would like. Just even looking at the show, this like the stills or whatever. And I was, yeah, I was, I have like Six of Crows in Libby right now, but I, as I said before, I hadn't read the other three books, so... I think you I think you've convinced me. Yay. Well, I can't wait for you to report back to us all. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And I will I'm sure I will have thoughts and feelings on the uh the discourse you mentioned. Yes. Either way, I mean, I really don't mind. I know with like The Witcher, that's not YA. Are you have you watched that? I have not. Okay. I know they made some changes with that. I didn't watch the the book watch the books watch the books, Erica. I haven't read the books or uh, played the game or whatever, but I don't know. I don't, I, I like it when they make the diversity changes because I feel like, I don't know, it just, as you said before, it makes it, I don't know, it enriches it. It doesn't bother me usually, usually, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see when we get there. Yeah. That's like a whole nother, like we're going to have to do another podcast episode just on adaptations and, you know, yes. improvements and changes made because I'm sure we both would have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. That is a good show idea, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Well, now I guess we should talk about what the episode is actually going to be about, um, (laughs) because otherwise I will just talk about Shadow and Bone the entire time. We're going to be giving you YA recommendations for the Read Harder 2022 Challenge. But before we dive into that, do you want to talk about our next sponsor? For sure. Our next sponsor is Bookmarks. Meet your new reading buddy, an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary words, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and more. A clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark. 
Get your copy at bookriot.com forward slash bookmarks tracker. Again, that's bookriot.com forward slash bookmarks tracker. Thanks to Bookmarks for sponsoring this episode. Awesome. And like, what a timely sponsor, because Mm. I am curious, since we're going to be talking about like reading challenges, do Mm -hmm. you track your reading? I am a very basic Betty. When it comes to tracking, I I have not been like I've just been doing a like Goodreads. I just recorded on Goodreads, but I I want to do. I think this year I'm going to actually get the Book Riot Read Harder Journal, and oh, I nice. also saw your Excel sheet. I think I'm going to get into that actually. Yeah the the reading log that I do on Google Sheets, which we will link in the show notes, is rather intense because I like stats. <laughs> to put it lightly it's it's, I love it though I love the organization because I'm so like not not a naturally organized person so when I behold organized people I'm like oh my god you're so you know (laughs) pristine and organized I love it uh well you know it was started you know there was somebody else at book riot that was doing a version of this And I, for years and years, always recorded what books I read. And I only ever did book title and the date that I finished in like this notebook. And then I did that for like 10 years and it was in the same notebook and I never lost that notebook. It was amazing. And then I lost it. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. That was was amazing though. (laughs) 10 years? I lost it after 10 years. I was devastated because I was like, that is such important data and it's just gone. So, it's also like the fact that you managed to keep it for 10 years. I know. Years. I'm so That's like, amazing. I don't know. That That is like, I should probably list that on my resume as like an accomplishment. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yes. Please do. But, Please do. Yeah. So then I started to think about like, what was, a, what would be like a good thing to use to track? And I was part of the book riot community at that point, And this other writer had like, done this Google Sheets thing. And at first I was like, I like pen and paper. But then I was Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, it's nice because it's Sheets based. So it's not even on my computer. Like if my computer were to crash, like I would still have it. So I started using it. And then she left Book Riot. And then I was like, well, I still want to keep doing this. So um, I started building, uh, you know, a version that I kind of, you know, used hers as an inspiration, but then built mine from scratch. And it has grown every year. And it's really cool to see like all the people who, you know, reach out to me about it Mm -hmm. and who say that they love using it and who offer suggestions and ideas and I am by no means like a perfect Google Sheets expert. So I know that there's always things that you can improve upon, but it's really fun. And I, you know, it's built in such a way that you get like pie charts and graphs for all of your reading statistics, which I love. And one of the reasons why I love it is because it helps me track my reading and it helps me kind of get like numbers and percentages on like diversity. So like if, like, I, if I say, like, oh, I think I read fairly diversely when it comes to, like, authors and creators, but then, like, I look at my spreadsheet and it's like, oh, well, actually, tears are the only 25% of the authors you read this month are, you know, authors of color. Then it's like, oh, okay, well, then I need to, like, make sure that that number is higher. And, you know, I, that helps me in, like, in a really organic way to kind of make sure that my reading is diverse. So I love it for that. But, yeah, the other cool integration to that is I we put the read harder 2022 challenge into that spreadsheet so it kind of like all feeds in and yes so I just love stats that is my thing it looks really (laughs) good we're gonna I'm definitely gonna include a link to it because I was watching it and I was like she's thorough (laughs) she's thorough it looks Uh, how long have you been making that for people um I think this is my Third or fourth year? Okay. Third? Yeah, it looks really good. Thanks. We always tweak it a little bit. And I do a YouTube video, too, that shows people how to customize it. Because I know, like, the way that I use it might be different from how you use it. And so that way, um, you know, you can take kind of, like, the framework and then just customize it to, you know, change up whatever you want to change up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and get what you want out of your reading. 
Yeah, that's kind of like an, a, a fun lead in to talk about then challenges because mm-hmm. we are going to be talking about the Read Harder Challenge, which I have always taken part of for the last few years. And then we thought it would be kind of fun to recommend some YA books for certain challenges. Yeah. Do you, would you like to start off or should I start? I can start. Yeah. So like the caveat with this is if you haven't checked out the Read Harder Challenge, not all of the challenges are going to be like conducive to YA reading because some of them are like very obviously like non-YA books and some of them are like read an award winner, you know, publish the year you were born. And like, unless you're born in the late 90s or earlier, there weren't a lot of literary awards for YA books. But we, you know, I think we've done a good amount of just covering what we can. So mm-hmm. um, one of the challenges um, is actually specifically a YA challenge, and it's read a nonfiction YA comic, which I suggested. I'm so excited that I got chosen. Um, and my pick for this one is Almost American Girl by Robin Ha. And this is, like, truly one of those bonkers, like, stranger-than-fiction stories. So it's about Robin. She was born in Seoul, and she grew up with a single mom. And it was kind of rough for her growing up with a single mom in Seoul because of, like, the stigma that comes with just not having a father and having a mom who wasn't married. But she was always very happy with her mom, and she thought that they had a good life, When she was like 13 or 14, her mom was like, we're going to go on vacation to the United States. And she was like, oh, cool. And so like they packed their bags for like a, I don't know, four week long trip to the United States. And then they get to the U.S. And keep in mind that like Robin doesn't speak hardly any English. Like she has some very basic English, but that's it. And they get there and her mom reveals to her like, surprise, we're actually moving here. Yeah. Uh, that was wild. <laughs> yeah, we're not going back. Like this that is, is this is it. The betrayal. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly it. Like the betrayal was huge because she was like, "What do you mean?" And so like she finds out that like her mom had been planning this because it's not like they just you know decided to stay. Like her mom had planned out visas and you know immigration, and she just hadn't told Robin, and then told Robin once they were in the U.S. And it was really tough because her mom immediately gets remarried and it's to this guy who doesn't really like them and he's, you know, sort of abusive and her mom eventually does leave him. And so then it's just the two of them and it is really, really, really hard. So it's hard for her because, first of all, she didn't get to say goodbye to any of her friends. All of her friends thought like she's just going on vacation and then she never comes back. And then she also feels, like, really betrayed by her mom, who was somebody that she really, you know, connected with and thought that, like, you know, they understood each other and they trusted each other. And now that trust is gone. So they slowly start to rebuild their relationship when her mom gets her drawing lessons and she um, begins to connect with a few other Asian kids in her drawing class and she slowly starts to learn English and feel like maybe she can figure out what it means to be almost American. And then as she does that, she also kind of learns a little bit about her mom's motivations for doing what she did. And I thought that it was just a really beautiful portrayal of like a very complicated mother daughter relationship. And you don't really know until like the end of the book, why the mom does what she does. But like, once you do know, it does make you, sort of you know feel bad for her and and reconsider the whole situation so that is almost american girl it's a graphic memoir by robin ha and it's excellent i mentioned that in uh one of the episodes i did i was about to say earlier this year last year with kelly um i remember too just to add to her to robin's difficulties that she was like in the south like in alabama or something like that and like didn't know english and was you know, very Korean, obviously, because she was fresh from coming from Korea. And I'm just like, oof. Yeah. Her mother chose violence. You said <laughs> with good reasons, apparently, but that was definitely violence that her mother yeah. chose. I mean, oh, may- maybe it's different people would have like different perceptions of whether or not her mom had a good reason to do what she did. I know that I got to the end of the book and I did feel a lot of sympathy and empathy for her mom and the choice that she made. And then Robin High even includes like an author's note at the end of the book to kind of explain 
like why she wrote the book and like how her feelings about her teen years have changed and how her relationship with her mom has evolved. And I think like she's forgiven her mom now, but it Mm -hmm. it was hard. So um, yeah, it's just, it's a very messy situation, but it was really beautifully written. I like that the, the progression of like her betrayal and everything, it's like, how she tells it in the graphic novel, you kind of feel that with her at the same time. And then as she gets older, just like how, you know, people get older and they start to look back on their parents' decisions that they didn't care for. And then they start to kind of understand them. Yeah. So it kind of takes you on the same ride. I feel my challenge I chose to talk about is the same as yours, which is read a nonfiction YA comic. The one I chose is March Book One by John Lewis and Andrew Aiden, illustrated by Nate Powell. This is the first in a trilogy of graphic memoirs that follows the late freedom fighter and former congressman John Lewis. The first book starts off in Lewis's youth as he grew up in Alabama, where he would sometimes preach to farm chickens, which I <laughs> thought was very cute. <laughs> he would go on to meet... I mean, who didn't he meet? But like in the earlier years, he would go on to meet Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He would organize um, sit-ins in Nashville for what would become the Nashville Student Movement. And he became one of the original Freedom Riders. Of course, he was a lifelong freedom fighter, but he became one of the original um, members of a group called Freedom Riders, which if you're not familiar with, with were a group of 13 black and white people who planned to protest racist bus seating policies by riding interstate buses throughout the South. Lewis suffered violence for his activism, even though he himself was, uh, he believed in nonviolent demonstration. The artwork here, I think, is beautiful. It's in black and white, and I feel like the black and white the choice to have it in black and white combined with the art style kind of makes it more serious overall, but it definitely gives justice to the story. Um, it was revealed at some point that he got inspiration to write a graphic novel by the 1950s comic book Martin Luther King and the Montgomery story, which I thought was really cool. I just think it's really cool that you have, you know, a congressman and this civil rights icon, like this lifelong champion of civil rights and his memoir. He has a memoir that's a graphic novel. I love that. So definitely pick it up. Again, it is March Book One by John Lewis and Andrew Aiden. Um, There are two more and they have some little like kind of, they kind of branch off from them, but it's, it's officially a trilogy. Yes, so good. So my next challenge that I decided to tackle was read a horror novel by a BIPOC author that's um, Black, Indigenous, Person of Color author. And I know I've already talked about this book on the show rather recently, but I love it so much um, that I'm going to recommend it again. It's White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. And if you missed our best of the year um, show, I, this is one of the books that was one of my favorites of 2021. It is about a blended family. Um, Mari and her brother and her mom are black and she's got a new white stepfather and white stepsister. And her mom has just won this artist residency in a small town that's currently going through a sort of economic revival that's basically being funded by a billionaire. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And what ends up happening is they go And part of the residency is that they get a free house. And that's a pretty sweet deal. Like, you know, free house. That's amazing. And then they get there and they slowly realize that there's something not quite right with this house. Like, they're not allowed to go into the basement. They keep hearing weird things. There's like this really awful smell that kind of comes and goes. And everybody treats them like really sort of weirdly. Like, just because... You know, they are not from this town because, you know, they're a blended family. And Mari is like really sort of freaked out by the house from the get go. But she has a backstory where she has struggled with addiction and she struggles with anxiety. 
And she, you know, made a pretty big mistake before the book starts that really lost her, her parents' trust. And so all of her, like, creepy sort of, ooh, something's not right feelings are being dismissed because her family's like, are you using drugs again, basically? And that is, like, heartbreaking for her and also terrifying for, like, the reader and for her because I don't think that there's anything scarier in my mind than, like, seeing some, something is not right and, like, nobody believes you. Oh, my so, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> this Ooh. is really creepy. It's, like, haunted house vibes, but then, it, like, you know, you realize that it's, like, much wider than just the house. Like, there's something wrong in this town, and she's not sure if she's imagining it, if it's her anxiety, or if, like, she needs to get out. Um, so that is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. I loved it. It's a really fantastic horror novel. The ending, like, yeah, no, it creeps me out so much when I think about, like, the moment of, like, reveal and, like, how, you know, Jackson just keeps, like, heightening that tension. It's so good. So I highly recommend it. So you feel like it's actually, like, you were actually, like, creeped out throughout reading it? Yeah, that's, like, one of the things that I was really impressed by, actually, because, like, there's some weird moments, like, from the very beginning that make you kind of go, ooh, and then, like, she's she's able to sustain that tension and keep building it throughout the entire book. Um, if I had any complaints about this book, I do feel like it ended rather abruptly. I understand how and why it ended the way it did, but I was almost kind of like, wait, that's it? Are you kidding me? But then it like it sits with you for a long time. But yeah, like the final like 30 pages, I was like, I had to read them twice because I rushed through them so quickly because I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then I had to go back and read them again. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, it's a trip. <laughs> I've totally done that before. Where it's like, oh, I have, to, I have to get through this. And I'm like, I didn't retain anything that I just, that my eyes just went over. I sounds like I, I need to read this. I might have to read it with the lights on because I'm a yes. weenie, but it sounds really good. So so my next challenge that I've chosen to talk about today is read an entire poetry collection. I've chosen A Vinyl Moon by Mahogany L. Brown. So this is about high schooler Angel who had a boyfriend who she thought loved her until an incident that has basically scarred her. And she's dealing with this incident, definitely um, content warning for abuse and stuff like that. So I won't say what kind, cause it's kind of, I think part of the story, but that's definitely something to consider. So now she finds herself moved from California to Brooklyn, not knowing anyone and totally blaming herself for what happened. Um, so she's plagued by the memories of her terrible past relationship, um, the isolation she experiences from being the new girl. You can imagine how big of a difference Brooklyn is from California. I mean, Brooklyn's even different from like Manhattan. So yeah. <laughs> just imagine. So she feels alone because she's not only the new girl, but the new girl from across the country. And she kind of feels like all of this together kind of makes her feel like people know what happened and that it's her fault. And she has these like general feelings of unease until she starts, she starts to feel more comfortable as a result of a teacher, of a teacher's class to be specific. And that is Miss G's class where her and her other classmates are able to share stories of pain and commiserate, but they also get encouragement from each other. Um, some of the students are really going through it, but it isn't all doom and gloom. Um, the characters are layered and interesting, and it represents a really wide variety of Black identities and cultures and quirks and personalities and all that good stuff. Angel starts to see herself in the books she reads in class from other writers like Toni Morrison and Jason Reynolds and stuff like that, or people like that, I should say. This reads like an ode to Black kids coming of age kind of it mixes like prose and music with angel's poetry so i feel like it's you know a really good story coming of age story as well as empowering story for people dealing with um, domestic violence intimate, intimate partner violence i feel like i definitely want to see more of that in ya um i think that should definitely be talked about I haven't mentioned, I think to Kelly, 
I don't know if this exists, but I think there should be like a nonfiction type of book that is geared towards talking about um, healthy relationships for for teenagers. Oh, totally. I think that would be so good. And I'm like, I'm almost like amazed it doesn't exist. I feel like just like, you know, what what is consent and the different types of abuse? Everyone, it, you know, abuse can happen in any kind of relationship. Totally. You know, all that good stuff. So definitely pick this up for all of those good things. It is a new release. I believe it is out on the 25th of January. And it, again, is Vinyl Moon by Mahogany L. Brown. Sounds so good. So glad that you were able to talk that one out. Okay, so we're going to keep talking about our picks. But first, we're going to hear from another sponsor. So if you've got reading goals for the new year, it's time to check out TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want to comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are for 2022. Then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email. So there's an option for every budget and every reader, and the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your request to stay in line with your 2022 reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. It's pretty cool. So that is TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations. And my next pick is for another challenge that I suggested and they they decided to use, which makes me happy. It's read a book whose movie or TV adaptation you've seen, but you haven't read the book. And yes, I did suggest this as an excuse to finally, like, force myself to read some books. (laughs) Clever, clever. Very clever. Like, I'm sure that, like, most book nerds, I'm definitely, like, a read the book first before seeing the TV show or the movie. But, like, as my... Same. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, the book is always better, that sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. Which is true. The book is usually better. However, I'm a very busy person and my reading list is like 18 million years long. And sometimes I think with like the availability of so many things on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all this stuff, I just am like, ah, forget it. I will just watch this show even though I haven't read the book yet. And so that was definitely the case with um, my next um, pick, which is Unpregnant, which is a book by Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan, but it's also an HBO movie. You can watch it on HBO Max. And I bought this book when it first came out because it had already been optioned by that point, which I think was kind of like... um, like, not necessarily a unique situation, but Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan work in Hollywood. So, you know, they wrote this book together. The book came out first, but they were probably, you know, hoping that if it were to be made into a film, they could, you know, very quickly and easily then write that script and get that made. And it did happen very quickly because it came out in 2020, like just barely over a year after the book came out. So Unpregnant, I watched the movie. It's hilarious. It is the story of two ex-best friends from Columbia, Missouri. And the protagonist is like the straight A sort of happily perfect student who has this nice boyfriend and great friends. And she's going to go off to Brown for college in the fall. And she discovers that, whoops, she's pregnant. And she definitely does not want to be pregnant. She also knows that she really can't tell that to her parents because her parents are very religious and also her older sister had a baby, got, became pregnant, had a baby her first year of college and, you know, had to drop out of college. And she's, you know, now married with, you know, three kids. And she just knows that she does not want that life for herself. And so she's calling around trying to figure out, like, where the heck can a 17-year-old get an abortion in the state of Missouri? And the answer is nowhere unless you have parental consent, which she can't get. So the nearest place for her to go and get an abortion is Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is like a 12-hour drive from Columbia, Missouri. And 
she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to go do this. And she needs a ride. And the only person with a car who will do this for her, drive her all the way to Albuquerque without telling her parents, is her ex-best friend, Bailey. And they have not been friends since middle school, but Bailey kind of accidentally finds out about the pregnancy and with a little bit of bribery, agrees to drive her across the country for an abortion. And it's like this really wild, hilarious sort of buddy road trip movie. And the movie's really funny. I watched the movie first and then I read the book and One of the reasons why I'm recommending this one is because I think that both the book and the movie are really enjoyable and they stand really well on their own. So, you know, you can read the book or just watch the movie and just really enjoy it. If you, you know, do both of them, you can kind of see, you know, the similarities between the two of them, where they made some changes for the movie. But both are really hilarious and really funny in their own way. And they're pretty... For the most part, they stay pretty true to the book um, in the movie, but they do make a few important changes. So I thought this was an excellent book. It's a very topical sort of book because, you know, right now um, access to abortion and healthcare is really hugely at risk. And like, this is like a really funny story about these two girls who go on this wild cross country trip just to get an abortion. But like, it's also really saddening and maddening because like they should not have to be able to do this. And there's this one scene where like so many obstacles just kind of like keep throwing themselves in her face that she like absolutely has this meltdown and she's like screaming at the sky, like F you Missouri legislator. And it's like, I think a lot of people feel that. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah. So it's, it's really great. Um, That's Unpregnant by Jenny Hendricks and Ted Kaplan. The book is fantastic. The movie is hilarious. It stars Haley Lou Richardson, who's been in like a lot of teen movies lately. Um, and she's going to be in like a couple more YA adaptations um, coming up. So I uh, highly recommend both. The movie looks pretty, it, it does look pretty good. The movie and the book. I, I looked up the movie and it has um, the poster or whatever promo for it. it has the two girls like sitting on a car and it says unpregnant. She's a type A without a plan B. <laughs> Yes. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> so oh totally gosh. sets the mood. Yeah, that's definitely going on the list. Oh, and the story has like just the most like punchable boyfriend character that like you just oh. want to screw. Like, you know, oh he's like God. the type of guy who's like, oh, I'm such a nice guy. But like, really, he's like absolute horrible person. And you just want to punch him in the face. If you have to say that you're a nice guy. <laughs> right. Then. <laughs> you're not a nice guy. <laughs> no. So what's really great about that, because you were just talking about like how, how, how do we see, how do we teach teens to like recognize unhealthy relationships? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, they think about unhealthy relationships. They think about like abuse, like, you know, over like sexual or physical or emotional mm-hmm. abuse. But then there's like the more insidious, like, oh, I'm just such a nice guy and I'm just yeah. going to do all this, you know, for you. I'm doing it for you. And it's really manipulative. And that's, I think, harder to like recognize as unhealthy, um, but, which, but it totally is. So anywho, is. that is my rant about Unpregnant and it's so good and I definitely recommend it. <laughs> it's going on the list. Uh, my next pick is from the challenges is Read an Adventure Story by a BIPOC author. I chose The Tiger at Midnight by Swati Tirdala. And this is another first in a trilogy. It is set in an alternate India and borrows from Hindu mythology. So Esha has a secret identity as the rebellion's skilled assassin, a job she embraces as an act of revenge for what happened to her family. Meanwhile, Kunal is a soldier who would rather just kind of like chill out, you know, make Mm -hmm. art kind of like on his hippie, you know, hippie tip, whatever. So both Kunal and Isha are on opposing sides when their paths cross and he must go on a wild chase to apprehend her. Only he finds himself drawn to her in other ways instead. Eyebrow wiggle. (laughs) They both uncover secrets about their country's split And they learn they might not be as in control as they think they are. So this is like just a fun, entertaining, 
cat and mouse style adventure, but like cat the cat and mouse element, if it wasn't clear, is between Kanal and Esha. So there's like, you know, the tension, the chase, and all that good stuff. And then I, I really like, I always like when mythology is adapted, Greek, Hindu, African, whatever, different types of African. I know African is obviously very vague, but um, I really like that element of the story. So, I mean... It's definitely not like a groundbreaking read, but it's very fun, super entertaining. And again, if you like like science fiction and fantasy that is based in actual like an already existing culture, you want to, you know, have an Indian setting and stuff like that. I think it'd be really fun. Again, it is The Tiger at Midnight by Swati Tirdala. I read this one. It was really fun. And Mm -hmm. the cat and mouse sort of tension between the two characters as they chase each other across this fantasy land was just like chef's kiss. So good. Yes. Chef's kiss. I was just about to say that. Yes. (laughs) Chef's kiss. Exactly. All right. My last one, I did read a queer retelling of a classic fairy tale, folklore, or myth. Love me some queer retellings. And like, mm-hmm. I'm really excited. The book that I'm probably going to use for this challenge for myself is The Bone Spindle by Leslie Vetter, which just came out. And I have a copy on my shelf. I have not read it yet. So I can't, like, you know, give you a like, full wholehearted recommendation or even tell you, you know, detailed what it's about because I haven't read it, but I'm excited to read it. But I thought for this one, I would just recommend an oldie but goodie, which is Ash by Melinda Lowe. And... I mean, this is just, it's, if you want to talk about, like, the history of YA and queer retellings and, like, queer fantasy, um, Melinda Lowe is groundbreaking. I mean, she published Ash in, I believe it was 2008, 2008 or 2009, um, but I want to say 2008, and it is a lesbian Cinderella retelling, and it's very lovely. It um, sort of leans more into, like, fae and sort of like a classical fairy tale land but it also includes like a lot of chinese mythology and um sort of traditions yeah it's really good Mm. the writing feels like you know a classic sort of storybook fairy tale retelling um the writing's just really gorgeous and it's this really quiet yet powerful retelling of cinderella and the Cinderella character is Ash and she, um, you know, loses her parents and she's stuck with a horrible stepmother who treats her like a servant. And she's so caught up in her own grief and what she's lost that she slowly started starts to develop this relationship with the Fae who like come to her in the woods. And she starts to think, like, you know, my life would be better if I could just leave the human world behind and then join them. But that's, like, an irrevocable decision. And she's really on the cusp of making that decision when she meets um, the king's huntress who um, hunts in the woods and they develop a relationship. And then all of a sudden she has to make a choice. So I really love this book. Um, I actually reread it a couple of years ago when the um, 10th anniversary edition came out. It definitely holds up. And in terms of, you know, like I said, groundbreaking YA, um, Melinda Lowe, you know, broke a lot of barriers in getting queer books, not just queer books in general, although certainly queer books in general, but also queer genre books in YA. So it's amazing. So if you, for whatever reason, you know, Melinda Lowe has written a lot of books since then. She has written in a lot of genres. I love her fantasy. Definitely read this one if you've missed out on it or somehow skipped it over the years. That's Ash by Melinda Lowe. And that's kind of like, goes back to what we were talking about before about how much more diverse YA has become because this was released just in 2009 which was not that long ago yeah and it was like you said like kind of groundbreaking and when I think back to 2009 um, I definitely didn't see that many queer I'm they were there of course but I feel like they you know maybe were not pushed as much and they weren't as plentiful really for sure they were not as visible yeah So that sounds really good, though. I need to add that to my list. The last one I have is for the challenge of reading a history 
about a period you know little about. I chose The Red Palace by June Her. And I made a mistake earlier. Vinyl Moon is actually already out. It came out January 11th. How I became confused was that this book, The Red Palace, is out January 25th. So I don't come across 18th century Korean historical fiction much. (laughs) And this has um, the added feature of being a mystery. So I'm super excited to read this. It is about 18-year-old Hyun. She's a girl with few options. Um, she like her, she's like illegitimate, like her parents were not married. You can imagine in 18th century anywhere that was taboo. So she just landed a great position as a palace nurse through, uh, working hard and studying and everything like that. So she's basically just minding her business and trying to make it like all of us when four women are killed one night in the palace and suspicion is placed on her close friend. So in order to clear her friend's name, she, of course, starts her own investigation. This investigation she starts eventually leads her to crossing paths with the young police inspector, Yojin. Um, Yojin is also investigating the case, which eventually points to someone in a position of great power. I don't think this is a spoiler. It's probably obvious. But Hyun and Yojin, so their paths cross... And there starts to be this kind of like, you know, mutual attraction and interest that is slowly given attention and stuff like that. So Hyun and Yojin, during their investigation, um, they uncover just a whole bunch of like court secrets and politics and they come across court spies and all that stuff. So definitely read this if you're, of course, into... Korean historical fiction. I've seen someone say this is kind of like watching like a um, historical K-drama. So definitely if you're into that. Um, It's 18th century Korea. It's got mystery. It's got the court and palace intrigue and trappings, you know, with the secrets and politics and spies and all that good stuff. So again, that is The Red Palace by June Her. And it's out on January 25th. Ah, I'm so excited. I love yes. her books. I read her first two and they're totally great because they're just a completely different perspective on history that I've never had before. And there's like literally nothing like it in YA right now. So her books are so awesome. Yeah, seriously. I'm super excited to read it. All right. So I believe that's our show. We hope that if you are partaking in any reading challenge (laughs) this year, uh, particularly the Read Harder 2022 challenge, you have some good book picks and maybe we've given you a little bit of inspiration for your reading year. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, You can always leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify that lets us know how we're doing and it helps other book lovers find us. And you can also email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thank you to our sponsors for helping make today's show possible. And thanks, as always, to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And Erica, how about you? I am occasionally on Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. That's at E-R-I-C-A underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, we will be back again in two weeks. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>